The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Last week, we read about Jesus preaching his inaugural sermon at his home church in his hometown of Nazareth, the immediate reaction to which was by and large favorable, until came the request for some miracles for the hometown folks, but Jesus declined. And in the course of doing so, he did just a brief little Bible study with them, the gist of which was that God doesn't belong to any hometown or any home country, and in fact, God loves foreigners including foreigners who aren't even the same religion as you, just as much as he loves you. And in fact, at times, he said, for reasons God only knows, God has, like, has come to the aid of foreigners, like, for example, Syrians, he mentioned specifically, rather than coming to the aid of the likes of you, which folks heard as both anti-God and anti-country, not just blasphemous, but also treasonous, both of which were capital offenses, and so they tried to kill him but he slipped out of town. There's no indication he ever came back. You want Jesus to slip away from you? Tell him that you and your kind and your country are his preferred people and kind and country and watch him prefer his way away from that line of thinking. Which he did in Luke by leaving Nazareth and going down the road just a few miles to a fishing town called Capernaum. It was on the Sea of Galilee, as the Bible most often calls it, or the Lake of Gennesaret, as, the, as some of the older locals called it, or the Sea of Tiberias, as the Romans called it, but it was all the same to him. And he adopted Capernaum as his new hometown. Capernaum was, and this surely wasn't a coincidence, Capernaum was the hometown of a fishing operation called S-double-J Fishing Company, LLC. The S and the two J's 
coming from the initials of the owners of this company who were men by the name of Simon and James and John. And Jesus did do miracles in Capernaum and he preached and taught there too. And everybody in that town, including the folks down at SWJ, heard about him and went to hear him. And when they did, they saw him do miracles. He healed people. Healed people who were physically sick, healed people who were spiritually sick, including healing Simon's mother-in-law who was sick with a dangerously high fever until Jesus came over and ordered the fever to get up and out of her, and it up and did. And she then got up and fixed them lunch. Luke does not say whether or not lunch consisted of a locally caught tuna casserole with a crumbled potato chip crust and a mandarin orange jello salad on the side. <coughs> then Jesus left Capernaum, went on a preaching tour of the whole region before returning again to his adopted hometown on the Sea of Galilee or Gennesaret or Tiberias. And the people came to hear him on the shore of the sea at a place, and this again was not coincidence. People came to the shore and found him at a place that was right next door to the SWJ Fishing Company, LLC. And he got into one of their boats, Simon's, and went away out from the shore to preach in front of it. After which he said, Simon, let's go fishing. Simon said, been out all night, sir. They ain't biting tonight. Jesus said, humor me. Simon said, whatever. <laughs> and then proceeded to drop his nets into the biggest catch of fish he had ever, ever seen those waters produce. Now let's be clear, this Simon is, is the same man who would later be known as Peter uh, and who would become the leader of Jesus' disciples, Simon did not jump up to his feet then and say, wow, look at all those fish. No, looking at all those fish, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In a close encounter with the holiness of God, in this case, God the Son, what Simon Peter, first of all, saw most clearly and closely was not, was not just God's glory, but also the greatness of his own sin, and therefore the greatness and unworthiness of him to be in the presence of such holy, holy holiness. Which is a very notable moment for at least two reasons. The first one being that the folks down the road in Nazareth had greeted Jesus with how entitled they thought they were in his presence and he was soon down the road and gone. But Simon Peter greeted Jesus with how unworthy he was in his presence and Jesus stuck around and then some. Second notable thing about this moment is that it's exactly the same kind of moment that came over and pretty much overwhelmed the prophet Isaiah in the story we heard in our first reading today, which was his call story, which too involved a close encounter with the holy, holy, holiness of God, in this case, God the Father. By the way, a quick, a quick grammar lesson. In biblical Hebrew, if you wanted to say holy, you said holy. Well, you said it in Hebrew, but we won't go there. If you wanted to say holier, you said holy, holy. If you wanted to say holiest, you said holy, 
holy, holy. Isaiah, in our reading for today, told of his story which somehow involved a close encounter with the holy, holy, holiness of God, whose heavenly throne room Isaiah was somehow, not literally I imagine, but spiritually somehow, taken to and flying around the throne of God, said Isaiah, were these heavenly creatures called seraphs or seraphim. And they, they, Isaiah said, had six wings, but only two of them were for flying. The other four were for protection. Protection from what? Protection from the holy, holy, holiness of God. And as they flew around the throne, they sang back and forth to each other, call and response, antiphonally. They sang around the throne, holy, holy, holy God, Lord God of heaven, power and might. And as they sang, the floor trembled. And there was even smoke around the throne. And Isaiah said, it all was because of the holy, holy, holiness of it all. Which was, of course, the holy, holy, holiness of God. And Isaiah fell to his feet in fear and said, woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In an up-close and personal encounter with the greatness of God, Isaiah, like Simon Peter, saw first of all, and most clearly of all, his sin and the greatness of of his absolute un, un, unworthiness to be in the presence of such holy, holy, holiness. There are people in the world, of course, who act like they think they personally are great with the great, great greatness of God's. For in their minds, they personally are the great, great, greatest of all time. Isaiah and Simon Peter, on the other hand, who scripturally speaking would go on to become two of the world's all-time greats, saw the greatness of God, immediately then both also to see that the greatest thing about them was their sin. The great, great, great unlikeness they bore to the holy, holy, holiness of God. And it would be to them the bowed down and repentance, not the puffed up and the proud, in whom God would do in the world great things. It reminds me, thematically rhymes with, I think, something someone else once said, that being that worship is the weekly opportunity to practice not being God. Worship, the weekly opportunity to practice not being God, which as Lutherans we traditionally do right off the bat by coming into the presence of God, confessing our sin. Because God is impressed by our groveling, heavens no, but because our relationship with God can only be everything it is by God intended to be when we know the truth of who we truly are and who we truly aren't. Worship, the weekly opportunity to practice not being God. And to draw into such with words such as we confess that we are captive to sin 
and cannot free ourselves. Then to be reminded every time of the same thing Simon Peter and Isaiah also discovered in their close encounters with the holiness of God, that being that greater even than the greatness of God's holy, holy, holiness is the great, great, greatest of all greatness of God's mercy and God's grace. Discovered in Isaiah's case when one of the mighty seraphim took a hot coal from the heavenly altar and touched it to Isaiah's lips and then said, your guilt has departed, your sin is blotted out. Discovered in Simon Peter's case when Jesus said, don't be afraid, follow me and fish with me. Not for fish to be drawn into nets, but for people, sinners like you, to be redrawn into the arms of the love of God. And discovered in your case, when someone like Deacon Pam, for example, after hearing you say some version or another of, Oh my God, I am so not you, says, for example, to you, in the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. Worship, the weekly opportunity to practice not being God. The weekly opportunity joyfully to realize and re-realize you don't need to be God. And the weekly opportunity, too, to be reminded and re-reminded and again reminded that the God who is God, the God whom you precisely aren't, loves you, starting honestly with where you are and with exactly who you are, then to discover the final thing that both Isaiah and Simon Peter also discovered in their encounter with the holiness of God, that being that more than an un, un, unworthy sinners compared to the holy, holy, holiness of God, they were two un, un, unworthy sinners who had a place in and a call to the plans and the purposes of God. And Isaiah responded and said, Here I am, Lord, send me. And Simon Peter and his business partners, James and John too, responded by leaving their business and, and their boats and all those fish and their home and their hometown on the Sea of Galilee to follow Jesus and to share the good news, casting the all-embracing net of God's forgiving grace in the world from sea to shining sea. It's a call for which, of course, these small-town fishermen in the eyes of the world, anyway, were not remotely equipped. Turns out that didn't matter. Turns out God's plan wasn't to get his word into the world by calling the equipped, but by equipping the called. Which, of course, takes us to you, the sinner who is not God, but who is forgiven and loved by God. Did you know that you are part of God's plan for God's love and God's word to reach out not just to between you and God, but to reach out into God's world. But I can hear you thinking, no, 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 not me. You say, I could not ever, ever, never, ever say something about my faith to which I say not true, not one bit true. You say things about your faith all the time. Just that most of the time, you don't use words, which much of the time is absolutely perfect. <coughs> Reading in the bulletin that the little free pantry has some extra needs this time of year, and then going to Costco or Fairway or Hy-Vee and 
getting a bag of what we need and bringing it tomorrow. That's sharing the love of Jesus with the world. Making quilts and loading DVIP donations and filling food packs for kids and donating for a freshwater well in Africa or making a tuna casserole and mandarin orange jello salad for a neighbor in time of need or writing a check to the pastor's discretionary fund and giving it to me and saying help somebody in need. Those are all ways of being part of God's plan to share the love of Jesus with the world but with actions, not words. And much, much, much of the time that is absolutely perfect. Of course, <laughs> there are times when words would be absolutely perfect. Words that you could speak. Words that at the right time God calls you to speak. They don't need to be whole sermons. God doesn't call everybody to preach sermons. Thank God, right? But there are words. Words which aren't sermons. But they nevertheless do speak the name Jesus and the love of Jesus into the world. Like when a, a neighbor or a co-worker is hurting and you listen, you listen, you listen, and as you listen, you do, you realize that she is actually, not quite in so many words, but she's actually asking you to say Jesus to her. Maybe by saying something like, may I pray for you? Or like when a neighbor or another student is searching and you listen and as you do, you realize that he's actually, but maybe not in quite so many words, he's asking you to say Jesus to him. Maybe by saying something like, there's a lot I don't understand, but I don't know, for me, faith helps. Or maybe like when a neighbor, maybe someone even you just struck up a conversation with, let's slip, that they gave up on church. Because when they came out, the church gave up on them. And you say, not my church. And not the God my church worships. You are loved and you are accepted and you do not need to change for that to be true. Or like when a new friend says, you want to do brunch on Sunday? And you say, sure. Is noonish okay? I want to go to church first. And they say, church, huh? You say, yeah. I hate to miss. And they then say, and you can tell they mean it. They say, why is that? And you say then, well, what will you say then? What words do you use then to say Jesus? Amen.